It's Monday, Chaf Vav Tishrei, Tuf Shin, Ayin Dalid, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the premiere debut Israel show for the second season on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Kugi Lakat Kaveret. Bechol Zot Higanu Lamrot Hakol. Yes, despite it all, we've made it through three sets of three day yontifs. This year, and by the way, coming again next year, we've made it through, and we are here. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network as we begin our second season of the Nachum Siegel Network programming. Lots of great programs to listen to, and um, in addition to the great music stream, we are here, the Israel Show, every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in Israel. And on demand, you can listen to it anytime you want via NachumSiegel.com, the website, or via the app, which is available both for iPhone and Android. And now you could also podcast the show. Yes, you can do so by going to the iTunes store or any of the uh, other um, any of the other um, phones uh, Android iTunes whatever and subscribing to the podcast of the Israel show well we have lots of stuff to cover as we have promised um, we're going to open up with a discussion about uh, the situation on Har Habayit I don't think we've discussed that yet here on the Israel show and it is a subject that is very close to my heart. I've spoken about it many, many times on JM and the AM. And increasingly, we have found, or we are finding, that people are taking heart to this issue. This issue is touching people's hearts and minds, and we're going to devote some time to it today and hopefully in the future. So, Har Habayit is an area atop Mount Moriah, Har Hamoria. It is the area where the two Batei Mikdash, the two Jewish temples, one erected by Shlomo, by King Solomon, and the other erected later on by Zubavel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and so forth, in times of the second bite, and then expanded greatly by the horrible person, but did a great job of building Herod the Great, Hordus. The pictures that we see of the models of the Beit HaMikdash usually are of the Temple of Hordus. Those Beit HaMikdash sat atop Har Habayit. Har Habayit the focal point of Har Habayit, although not centrally geographically, the focal point of Har Habayit, of course, is the place known as Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies. It is the spot upon which the Aron, the Holy Ark, which contained during the first Bet HaMikdash, the Luchot, according to our tradition, it sat on Har Habayit, on the tip of Mount Moriah, and the tip of Mount Moriah, a, a, a rock that juts out is called Evan Hashtia. Har Habayit today is larger than Har Habayit was in the times of Shlomo and at the beginning of the te- Second Temple period. It was expanded over time, this area expanded by the Hashmonaim and then later by Hordus when he redid, when he renovated the Bet HaMikdash. And so, today, Har Habayit is a large rectangular area, about 37 acres in size. The Mishnah describes Har Habayit to us in detail, describing it as a square of 500 by 500 amot. We know today that that square is inside of the larger rectangle that we know of today. And so, after the uh, during the Six-Day War, well, let's go back a little bit. After the Bet- Bet- the, the second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, 
mostly Jews were not allowed to come to Har Habayit by the rulers who had captured Israel, the Romans, and then a myriad of others. And since the year of, uh, I think it's about 600, the Muslims captured and controlled the Har Habayit, and they built on it two structures. One is a mosque. It's called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It has a silver dome, and it's on one end, on the southern end of Har Habayit. The other is not a mosque. It's the golden dome that so many are familiar with from the pictures of Yerushalayim. It's an octagonal structure with a golden dome on top. It is not a mosque. It is a shrine that is built right on top of the Evan Hashtia, right on top of the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies. We also know that there are many parts of Har Habayit that because of their Kedushah, their holiness, Jews may not walk there unless there are certain conditions that are met which we cannot meet today. But we also know that being that today this rectangular area called Har Habayit, the Temple Mount, is larger than it was originally, there are areas that have no holiness to them at all. We can't be 100% sure where it was, where the holiness was that we can't walk, but we can be 100% sure where it wasn't, and that's the key. And so for almost 2,000 years, Jews yearned to pray on Har Habayit, the holiest place for the Jewish people, for the Jewish religion. In fact, it is probably the only place that our religion says is considered holy, innately holy. Until 1967, it wasn't much of an issue for Jews in the previous few hundred years because the Muslims who controlled the Har Habayit would not allow non-Muslims to enter. And so Jews had to find an alternative place to daven. And what they did was, for many years, for many generations, they davened at, at various points around Har Habayit. There were times that they davened along the eastern wall of Har Habayit, Eventually, over the last few hundred years, they picked a spot around the western wall of Har Habayit, which we know as the Kotel. The Kotel really is a small section, very small section, of the wall that surrounded Har Habayit. It was not part of the Bet Hamikdash. It was not part of the Temple. In fact, halachically, it has no holiness per se. It has been made holy by us by the Jewish people, because we've been davening there, we've been praying there for hundreds of years. But we prayed there as a substitute. We went to the Kotel because we could not go to Har Habayit. In 1967, with the help of Hashem, in, in, a, in a miraculous war, the state of Israel liberated Har Habayit. One of the most dramatic moments in modern Jewish history, probably after the moment of the founding of the State of Israel, which was huge, was the moment in which the commander Motagur pronounced over the army communications network, Har Habayit Biadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands. And since then, unfortunately, since then, since we liberated our most holy of holies, we have done everything to miss the opportunity that God gave us. We have done everything to further ourselves, to distance ourselves from Har Habayit, rather than embrace it. Immediately after the Six-Day War, the Israeli government, mainly at the 
behest of Moshe Dayan, who was a minister of defense, the Israeli government relinquished control of Har Habayit. Imagine that, the Jewish people, for whom this is the holiest place on earth, a place that we have prayed about for generations, just days after liberation, well, weeks, I should say, after liberation, relinquished the control to its enemies, to the Arab, to the Muslim, called the Waqf, which is the Muslim Trust Committee that controls the Muslim holy places. And Moshe Dayan, being a very secular, one would even say anti-religious Jew, didn't want to have anything to do with Har Habayit. And against the pleas of the chief chaplain, Rav Gorin, he relinquished control of Harabite and agreed that no one other than Muslims would be able to pray on Harabite. And he took the Kotel, which was the place that we designated over the generation, over the past few hundred years, as, as the Bimkom, as where we go when we couldn't go to Harabite. He took that and made it the center. They created a huge plaza in front of it and basically consecrated, if you will, the Kotel as the holiest place for the Jewish people. In fact, since 1967, and I would say until about seven to ten years ago, if you look back at articles that are written and so forth in news reports, people would always say, the Western Wall, the holiest shrine for the Jewish people, or something like that. Well, that's not true. The Western Wall is not the holiest. Har it is. And so we lost focus, the Jewish people. We lost focus, and it was done on purpose by the leadership, by the secular leadership. We lost our focus. And we began focusing on the Kotel, and our eyes went off the prize. And we totally, totally abandoned our Habayit. And we have to mention, and we have to emphasize, not just mention, we have to emphasize that there is also religious rabbinic reasons that this happened. And there was a, a confluence here of, of um, wills by the political that wanted to get any Jewish control out of Harabayit and the religious, where many rabbis felt, held, ruled that Jews should not go anywhere in that rectangular 37-acre area because we were not sure where the Holy of Holy was. We weren't sure where the areas that our usher to go to are, and being that the punishment of going there, Betuma, when one is Tameh, the punishment is Kare, the highest form of punishment, one should be careful and not go at all. But as I said before, it's true that we don't know exactly where it was, although we are pretty certain today, because we have measurements after 1967 when we came back to the Har Habayit Rav Gorin, used the Army's Engineering Corps to take precise measurements of Har Habayit. We know where it wasn't. We for certain know that there are certain areas of Har Habayit, of, of what is today the Temple Mount, the rectangular area, the larger area, that have no holiness, that not only can a Tomei mate, not only can someone who is what we would say unpure, impure Tomei mate, but you could bring a mate there. You can even bring a body there. And in those areas, one is permitted to go. Now, one must be incredibly careful. One should never go up, up, up onto Har Habayit without consulting proper rabbinical authorities. And one should not go up there alone without being led by someone who is 
very knowledgeable and proficient and knows exactly where one can go and where one cannot and will prepare the person. One must go to mikvah before, and there are many laws that one must follow when going up to Har Habayit. But I would say about 10 or 12 years ago, many rabbis realizing that by removing ourselves from Har Habayit, we are abandoning it to our enemies. We are abandoning it to radical Islam, ruled that under those conditions, knowing where you're going, going with somebody who's very proficient and knowledgeable, doing the proper preparations beforehand, one not only may go to visit in Har Habayit, one should go and assert not only the sovereignty, but our care for it and our love for it. This movement, we've spoken about many times on JMDM, this movement is growing. The numbers are very small. But the movement has grown enough that the Arabs are concerned. And now that the Arabs are concerned, of course, the media is concerned. And so we found about 10 days ago, on September 21st, an article in the New York Times. Jews challenge rules to claim heart of Jerusalem, proclaims the headline. By Jody Rudoran. Small groups of Jews are increasingly ascending the Temple Mount in Jerusalem's old city, a sacred site controlled for centuries by Muslims who see the visits as a provocation that could undermine the fragile peace talks started this summer. Well, you can see already from that opening paragraph where this reporter is going. The sacred site controlled for centuries by Muslims? Why? Because by force... They captured it and did not allow anyone else up there. And they see others as a, provo- as a provocation, others visiting it as a provocation. Why? The article continues, for decades, the Israelis drawn to the site were mainly a fringe of hardcore zealots. See, the Arabs are in hardcore. The Arabs are in zealots. No, 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 no. It's the Israelis that were drawn to the sites. They are a fringe of hardcore zealots. Three, three ways of describing the Jews that would like to go to the Temple Mount. And it's good to know now, now I know how to describe myself. I am on the fringe of, and I am obviously a hardcore zealot, because I'm drawn to the holiest place of Jewish religion. But now, continues the article, now more mainstream Jews are lining up to enter as a widening group of Israeli politicians and rabbis challenge the long-standing rules constraining Jewish access and conduct. Well, the long-standing rules were established by the Israeli government in 1967. The same horrible, terrible government that's responsible for the occupation. So everything else they do is terrible. But here they establish these rules and everybody, and now these Jews have the chutzpah to challenge them. And the article continues, Palestinian leaders say the new activity has created the worst tension in memory around the landmark Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, and have called on Muslims to defend the site from incursions. A spat of stone-throwing clashes erupted this month. On Wednesday, three Muslims were arrested, an Israeli police officer wounded in the face, and on Friday, thousands of Arab citizens of Israel rallied in the north, warning that Al-Aqsa is in danger. Now, there is an entire book written by Nadav Shragai, who has written much about 
Harabayit and is an expert on the subject. There's an entire book which he documents how every time the Islamic forces in Israel want to rally and foment violence amongst the rank and file Muslims, they come and say the Jews are coming to capture the Temple Mount. The Jews are going to build the Beit HaMikdash. They know it's not true. In fact, when the quote-unquote Intifada began, I'm sorry, before the Intifada, when the Kotel Tunnels, those of you who are familiar with these tunnels that run underground alongside the Kotel, when the entrance at the end was opened up, a door so that tourists can go out rather than come all the way back from the end of the tunnel, when that door was opened, there were riots and 11 Jews were killed because the Muslim leadership said the Jews are going to capture Har Habayit. We can go back even further. Before there was even a state of Israel, when Jews came to Davin at the Kotel, which was a narrow, tiny alleyway, and wanted to put up a mechitza, the Arabs rioted, saying that the Jews are changing the status quo and they want to capture Har Habayit, destroy the Islamic mosque, and rebuild the temple. Before there was even a state, before Jews could even think or dream of having sovereignty on Har Habayit, or even going there, putting up a screen at this tiny little hotel. No shock that they would use the same tactics today. The article continues quoting Sheikh Akrima Sa'ed Sabri. We reject these religious visits, he says. Our duty is to warn. If they want to make peace in this region, they should stay away from Al-Aqsa. Wow. That's interesting. If Jews want to just daven, and by the way, at this point we're not even talking about davening. Jews want to visit the holiest site in Judaism. If they do that, there won't be any peace. Well, what's that peace worth? The article continues, the 30, this is the article from the New York Times of September 21st, the 37-acre site is perhaps the most religiously contested place on earth. Jews revere it as the home of the first and second temples 2,000 years ago. For Muslims who call the site the Noble Sanctuary, it is the world's third holiest spot from which Muhammad is believed to have ascended to heaven. More than 300,000 foreign tourists also flock there annually, many of them Christians drawn to the ruins of the temple Jesus attended. Now, at the beginning of this paragraph, they just say Jews revere it as the home of the first and second temples. Well, Jews are not the only ones who 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 believe and who say and who have evidence to the fact that there were two Batemigdash, two temples on this spot. The Christians, the entire Western world believes that. But over the past few decades, and especially so in the last 10 years, the Arabs have basically come up with a new idea. There never were Jewish temples there, they now are saying. It's amazing. They literally deny reality. But why should we be surprised? They deny the Holocaust, and who who could deny the 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 millions of facts that attest to the Holocaust? You can't deny it, but they do, and you can't deny that there were. Temples, Jewish temples, Jewish Batemigdash on Har Habayit, but they do. And more and more Arabs grow up believing that the whole thing is a lie, that the Jews have no connection there. Notice that it says that the Muslims, it's the third holiest site, but Jews revere it. 
doesn't say that its site is holy to Jews. In fact, the holiest site to Jews. And as we know, Jerusalem isn't mentioned even once in the Quran. And before 1967, when Israel liberated Har Habayit, the Muslims really didn't care much about it. It was so neglected, hardly visited. Today, because the Jewish people have laid claim to it, you have hundreds of thousands of Muslims coming to Davin on Har Habayit. Politically, the article says, politically the competing claims to the area are the nut around which the Israeli-Palestinian conflict revolves, the symbolic heart of each side's religious and historical attachment to Jerusalem. No, it's not the heart of Islam's religion. The heart of Islam's religion is Mecca. In fact, when Muslims daven on Har Habayit and they bow down, their backside faces the Golden Dome the Holy of Holies. They face Mecca. Jews all over the world, when they pray, face, face Har Habayit. We face Mizrah. Or, if we're on the other side, we face Marah. But we always face Yerushalayim. I'm going to read selections of this article just to show you how insanely biased it is. Over the last few years, a cause long taken up only by a fringe group of far-right wingers, again, they're, I love how they uh, describe the Jews that want to visit Har Habayit, has increasingly been embraced by the modern Orthodox, known here as religious Zionists, who have also gained political power. At three recent parliament hearings, religious lawmakers and cabinet ministers questioned the status quo in which non-Muslims can enter the site only for a few hours, five days a week. This is the status quo that was set up by the Israeli government, that the Muslims control it, that non-Muslims can only enter a few hours, five days a week, and, continues the article, and those identified by the police as Jews are separated, escorted by police officers, and admonished not to dance, sing, bow down, or even move their lips in prayer. Really? A Jew can pray anywhere in the entire universe, anywhere in the world, except at the holiest spot for Jews? When it's under Israeli sovereignty? What kind of backward, upside-down world do we live in? The article also quotes Max Friedzen, a Russian immigrant, now lives in Israel, obviously, who visits the site almost daily. And it quotes him, and, and this is this is the way I see it as well. The situation is the same like it was in the Soviet Union, said Mr. Friedzen, citing the police escorts, the identification checks, and the ban on religious texts, and on a minion. A Jew on Harabayit has to behave, if he wants to pray, like a Jew in the Soviet Union, before the fall of the Iron Curtain. You can't bring a sitter onto Har Habayit. Jews that want to come are separated into separate groups, escorted by police. And by the way, the article doesn't say, but they're also followed by Islamic waqf, the Muslims who control the Har Habayit follow along to make sure that, God forbid, no Jew might actually say a prayer. <sighs> Can't even begin to tell you, well, I, I think you hear in my voice how frustrated I am. But this isn't the New York Times' fault. 
And, and by the way, there's an article in the British Guardian, which is worse, filled with lies, one after the other. It's just insane. We don't have time to get into that. What's frustrating to me is that we've done this to ourselves. And if we want the situation to change, it's not enough that a small trickle of a few thousand You're talking about in 2011, 8,000, a little more than 8,000 Jews who have visited Harabayit. That, 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 that's a start. But we have to change our mindset. We have to change the way we educate our children. We have to change the way we look at things. We have to take the Kotel out of the focus and make Har Habayit the focus. Today, in so many Jewish homes, you'll see pictures of the Kotel and Harabayit in the background. We must flip that around. Harabayit has to be the focus. And once we realize that, even if your rabbi doesn't allow going on to any part of Harabayit, when you go to Israel and you go to Davin, before you go to the Kotel, walk up to the gate of Har Habayit and Davin there. We have to change our mindset and we have to begin in small steps and hopefully, if we do so, we can undo the craziness that we ourselves perpetrated in 1967. There is so much more to say, but there's not enough time to say it all. So we'll continue this discussion at a future Israel show. I don't know if we're going to get to all the stuff we want to do. We'll go to some music and then we'll come back with more of the Israel show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Here's Ehud Banai with a cover of Rup Shlomo's Hashmi'ini Et Kolech.
That was uh, Ehud Banai, off of his album Shir Chadash, going back to 2008, Hashmi'ini et cover of uh, the great Rip Shlomo, one of his first uh, songs, one of his classics, Hashmi'ini et Kolech. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We, uh, wow, the time is running, racing, and we have so much to cover. I think we're going to have to postpone some of what we planned for today. Um, And we'll, you know, we got a lot more weeks to go as we begin our second season here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We began uh, a few weeks ago looking uh, at the history of the Yom Kippur War, as this is the 40th anniversary of that event. We did two installments, and we have one more to go. We're planning to do it. I think we're going to postpone that for next week. And um, in a moment, we'll get to uh, this week's Meir Milim segment. I do want to welcome some new likers, people who have hit like on our Facebook page. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Take a look, give a like, have a listen. We post articles of interest and surely articles that are related to things we spoke about on the show. And we uh, usually also post links to the music we play. It's a great place to um, join us. As we began the show today, we had 120 likes, and we welcome Elliot W. and Avi O. I don't want to say their entire name. I don't know. Maybe some people may not be interested in that. But Elliot and Avi, welcome as new likers of the Israel show. That brought our total to 120. Yay. (laughs) It's growing, and we thank you all. We really appreciate it greatly. And uh, this is not a case of Adme Ava Esrim till 120. Now it's beyond 120. Let's move on from 120 and keep going. Tell your friends, anybody who you think might enjoy the Israel show, tell them to join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel show. You can hear the show every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, live, almost always live, via the internet, nachomsegel.com, or if you don't have web access, you can dial in, you can call a local number in a few places around the world and listen to the show, as my mother does every week. In New York, 212-419-4241, 212-419-4241. And by the way, these are the numbers that you can hear the Nachum Siegel Network 24-6, not just the Israel Show. In the U.K., and we have listeners there, and we say hello and cheerio, 44-207-097-0974, 44-207-097-0974, and in Israel, 072-224-2792, 072-224-2792, and of course, the show is available on demand, you can listen to it whenever you want, both on NachumSiegel.com and via the apps. Available both in the iTunes store for iPhone and on Android. And thanks to Mark Zamek and the great Nachum Siegel Network staff, you can now podcast the show. Subscribe to the podcast. It will be downloaded to your MP3 player or phone, etc., every week. In the Mayor Milim segment, we usually shed light on a word or a phrase in the Hebrew language. And um, this week's a little different, a little different. Um, We usually say at the end of the reading of a book of the Torah, and surely at the end of the Torah reading cycle, we all get up and yell out a phrase. And um, here's what it usually sounds like. So, why do we 
shout out that phrase when we finish a book of the Torah and when we finish the cycle of reading. The source, there is a source for the phrase, Chazak, Vinit Chazak. And it is a Pasuk in Shmuel Bet, Perik Yud, beginning with Pasuk Tet, the actual Pasuk Yudalf, beginning with Pasuk Tet, there is the story of David HaMelech's, King David's two generals, one's named Avishai, one's named Yoav, and they're going out to war. Vayar Yoav, Yoav sees Ki Haita, Yoav, one of the commanders of David's army, Vayar Yoav Ki Haita, Lav he sees that the battle lines are against him, Mi Panim Umeachor, both from the front from front of him, Umeachor, and in his rear, and back of him. He has to contend with two armies. Vayivchar mikol b'churei Yisrael. He selects men. Vayaruch likrat Aram. He arrays his army against Aram. But that's only one enemy. Ve'et yeter ha'am, the rest of the people, Natan biyad Avishai achiv. He gives to Avishai. Vayaruch likrat b'nei Amon. And he arrays them, he sets up that part of the Jewish army on the other side against B'nai Amon. So he has now two forces, two armed forces, one with the enemy who's in front and one towards the enemy who's in back. Vayomer. And he says, Yoav says to Avishai, Im techezak Aram mimeni. If Aram is too strong, techezak. Vahayita li lishua. Vim bene ammonia chazakumim ha, vahalachti lahoshia lach. Basically, we're saying we're going to cover each other. We're going to help each other. Whoever needs the help, wherever one is weak, the other one will cover. And then the Pasuk says, Chazak venit chazak, bead amenu. We will be strong and strengthen each other for the sake of our people, Uva Adare and the cities, the land of our God, the Hashem Hatov and the Lord will do what he deems right. God will watch over us. Yoav goes, Aram flees, Yoav wins, Amon Ra'u Kinas Aram when the other enemy saw that the first one was running away. They ran away too. And when they saw that everybody is fleeing, Yoav broke off the attack and went to Yerushalayim. And so here's the source for Chazak Vinit Chazak. Oh, wait, notice. The Pasuk doesn't say Chazak Vinit Chazek, and doesn't say Chazak Chazak Vinit Chazek. It just says Chazak Vinit Chazak. And for a myriad of grammatical reasons, it says Nit Chazak, not Nit Chazek. Well, there's two Chazaks here. There's two enemies. There's two concerns in the previous Pasuk. Im Techazak Aram, Vim Bnei there's an enemy in front and in back. And so there's two chazaks. Somehow, the original minhag of saying chazak venit chazak got changed to chazak chazak venit chazak. And then at some point, it got sort of corrupted into chazak chazak venit chazek. And as we see in the Pasuk, that is the not the correct pronunciation. The way we should say it when we all shout out at the end of a Sefer is Chazak, Chazak, Venit, Chazak. That is clear from the Pasuk. And a thought about why we say this of all Psukim when we finish the Sefer is because when one finishes a book and is now standing in front of beginning a new book. One is challenged, one has an enemy on both sides. We look back and we see that we finished, in this case, the entire Torah. Hey, that's great. We're done. 
we can rest. No, no, that's an enemy. That feeling of, okay, we're done, we can rest, that's the enemy. We look ahead, there's another enemy. Oh my gosh, we're going to start again the entire Torah from Breshit? That's a huge, daunting task. Can we do that? Can we handle that? And so we say, Chazak. Yes, we can. Chazak against the enemy from behind us that makes us feel complacent. We're done. We finished. And Chazak against the enemy that's in front of us. The book that we haven't even started. And that, I believe, is the reason. I haven't heard any other reasons. I'd be happy to hear others. But that, I believe, is the reason that we say this pasuk when we finish a book of the Torah and we're about to begin another. Well, this is a pasuk that um, I've always liked. And when uh, Jordan Gorfinkel and I were discussing an idea back in, I think it was 2001, when the Arab terror spree began when they started blowing up buses and malls and pizzerias. Jordan and I were thinking that wouldn't it be great if we could have a song where Jewish artists, Jewish singers from all around the world and from every different background would come together and sing a song of solidarity with the people of Israel, with the victims of terror. And the proceeds from the song would go to help the victims of terror. And as we had this conversation, Jordan said, we, we both had this idea, and Jordan Gorfinkel said to me, well, if you come up with the words, I'll come up with the melody. And on the spot I said to him, here it is. Chazak v'nit chazak ba'adameinu elokeinu v'hashem hatov be'inav. And Jordan, I must say, he picked up the gauntlet and he wrote an amazing song. Got all the artists. I was out. That was it. That was my contribution, was coming up with the words and joining him on the idea. And Jordan, with the aid of several others, put together an amazing, amazing project called Voices for Israel that went on to put out two double CDs, and there was a concert, and money was raised, and helped a lot of people, and he got together all these voices. So we're going to end off this edition of The Israel Show with Chazak Amenu, and you'll note, by the way, that in this song, Chazak is pronounced Chazak Vinit Chazak. Thank you so much for joining us, for listening to The Israel Show this week. Thanks to all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network, and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Stay tuned. Immediately following The Israel Show, this is new. Michael Fragan's new show about technology of Israel. And then after that, continue listening to the Nachum Siegel Network for a great Monday music mix. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Another siren wails, just an ordinary day. Was it anyone I know? How can life go on this way? We sing the words out loud To strengthen one another Together Standing proud Chazak, Chazak We stand as one Chazak, Chazak We must be strong Chazak, Chazak